This Israel report is brought to you by the Blue Agency. Your Israel property is in good hands. Owning properties in Israel can be a great investment, but challenging to manage if you're based abroad. The Blue Agency will manage every aspect of your property, finding and vetting tenants, maintaining your property and getting it rental ready, negotiating contracts and collecting rentals, reporting back to you regularly. The Blue Agency has built a reputation for trust and confidentiality over 20 years. The Blue Agency, your Israel property is in good hands. Contact us at www.thebueagency.com. Bokertov, good morning, Anthony. How are you? Bokertov, um, there are so many different aspects of um, things that are kind of falling out of the war that we're currently going through. Obviously, day 90 today of Operation uh, Swords of Iron. Um, but there's so many differences, so many things that have happened within Israeli society, changes that we've noticed yeah. um, since the October the 7th massacre. And one of those things is the number of people who have applied for a private arms license, a personal weapons license. And um, this has created some concern around the number of people who could potentially hold handguns. Just to give you an idea of how massive the demand has been, in all of 2022, there were approximately 42,000 Israelis who applied to hold a handgun license. The rules about whether you're entitled to hold a handgun or not are quite stringent. In other words, if you happen to live in the middle of Tel Aviv and there is no perceived threat to your security in your everyday life, the chances are that you will be refused the right to hold a private, uh, to hold a handgun. There is that level of um, um, checks, the levels of checks and balances to to assert, to assess whether people should be entitled to hold a handgun or not. On the other hand, people who live in slightly more peripheral areas in the outlying areas where there is considered to be more of a threat to their lives and therefore more of a justification to hold a handgun are more likely to be granted the right and of course they will need to go through the relevant training and there are very very strict laws about how you need to hold the gun and how you need to display it when it's on your person and and all that kind of thing so 42,000 people applied for handgun licenses in 2022 between october the 7th and the end of december last year 275,000 applications were received for people who wanted to hold handgun licenses. And that reflects the level of lack of security that people felt all of a sudden. People understood that what went on on October the 7th might have been a little different had more people had personal handguns available in order to um, be able to fend off um, the attacks that people underwent. I'm not sure to what extent they may or may not have changed the course of events on that day, but certainly as an individual, um, people thought to themselves that holding a personal handgun would help. Of course, there are a couple of problems. First of all, um, a lot of people are looking at US society and saying, that's what we see when there is an absolute freedom without any checks and balances to hold uh, handguns. And therefore, we don't want to go there. We don't want to go to that place where people are so armed um, in Israel's towns and cities that that could potentially cause more of a social issue. The other thing is, interestingly, that many of these weapons are coming from the USA and um, 
there has been this controversy around who should be entitled to issue a handgun because, of course, um, Itamar Ben-Gurion did want to set up his own sort of personal security service um, and issue those people with arms. The U.S. government said under no circumstances should the weapons that we sent to Israel be issued to those people. And now the U.S. is trying to get even more stringent about having a say over who is granted the right to hold those handguns or not. But ironic, ironic perhaps, considering, Anthony, that a lot of the, the arms used by Hamas are from arms that were left in Afghanistan by the United States. Absolutely. And, and, and I mean, that, that's true. Um, although uh, it's interesting that uh, many of the Hamas arms are, of course, Kalashnikovs, which come from uh, Russian Russia, origin. Yeah. It's not exactly sure what the path was to getting those arms, how they actually managed to um, obtain them. But the Kalashnikov was definitely the arm of choice uh, for the for the Hamas terrorists that we saw uh, at least on October the 7th and since then. But um, just, uh, I guess, a, a point about how things have changed uh, since October the 7th. And just interested in the views of the listeners as to what they think about um, arming more people on the streets of Israel. One of the things that people uh, tourists say when they come to Israel is that they notice that there are people who are armed, which is perhaps a little different from um, where they come from. All of a sudden they notice that certain people are, are holding um, personal weapons and they find that to be different. Uh, and of course, in the last few weeks and months, when we've got so many of our civilians in reserve duty, we notice even people in civilian clothing uh, with military weapons all the time um, because of course there are certain rules about how military weapons need to be kept maintained and and, and uh, secured during the time that soldiers are at home and not on military duty and if you don't have a way to deposit that weapon in a very secure way according to the rules then you are obliged to have it on your person at all times and so it's not unusual for us to see even people in their civilian clothing walking around with their weapon because that's the best way to secure it as far as the army uh, rules are concerned. So um, just some interesting uh, little differences that we perceive in our society over the last few weeks and months. Yeah, it's, it's so interesting because, I mean, when I look at Israel, I see a population that is largely trained in weaponry because of your conscription. That's true. Most people have been trained in how to handle a weapon. You can't say that for the that's United true. States. No, that's very true. I mean, obviously, people have been through military training, all have had weapons training, a minimum amount of weapons training, even if they might not be snipers um, or whatever, but they do get a minimum amount of weapon training. It doesn't necessarily equip them to be able to hold a handgun because, of course, the military weapons are, are different. Um, the, the, the military weapon of choice in the IDF these days is the Tavor, which is a, a, an Israeli-developed um, um, machine gun. So um, the Tavor is uh, certainly the, the weapon of choice, um, and it doesn't necessarily equip you to be able to uh, hold a, a, a pistol or a, or a personal weapon. Yeah. All right, Anthony, let's get on to some other stories. So the tunnel below the Shifa hospital in Gaza, that was been, well, that's been destroyed by the IDF. So how significant is this? Well, I think it's massively significant. First of all, um, we know that the IDF went into that tunnel uh, under Shifa hospital already some months ago, uh, back in November. Uh, highly controversially, I mean, let's just remember the events that took place um, when the IDF went into ship hospital. There was lots and lots of controversy. A lot of people were gathered there. The world was looking with magnifying glasses as to what was going to happen 
when IDF troops went into the hospital, they discovered the tunnels under the hospital. And actually, we now understand, and this is according to U.S. intelligence rather than to Israeli reports, we now understand that hostages and Hamas terrorists were in those tunnels before IDF troops entered Sheep Hospital. They know for a fact that they were there. And more than that, we know that Hamas, when they vacated those tunnels, destroyed reams of documents and lots of evidence. There was a lot of destruction that went on in order to um, get rid of evidence in those tunnels before the IDF actually came into the hospital. And we hear from Hamas, uh, sorry, we hear from Gaza civilians that a lot of the Hamas terrorists who were in the tunnels then decided to come up into the hospital and mingle with the civilians in the hospital in order to hide themselves away. That was the evidence that I saw of a Gaza civilian who was being interrogated by uh, military intelligence in Israel. So that they were definitely under those tunnels, uh, done under that hospital in the days before the IDF went in. And I just wondered to myself whether there might have not been a slightly kind of more surreptitious way that the IDF might have been able to get into those tunnels without all the public announcements beforehand. And they might have been able potentially to catch Hamas and perhaps some of our hostages without allowing them to escape before the IDF soldiers went in. So those were largely the soldiers of the Halom unit who went in together with special forces in order to look at those tunnels. Now, an area of 250 meters has been destroyed underneath Shefa Hospital. And what the IDF announced saying is that the, the terrorist infrastructure, this 250 meter tunnel underneath Shefa Hospital was destroyed. There's actually even a video showing the explosion of the tunnel being destroyed. And yet the hospital and the area around the hospital above ground remained intact. No damage was done, hmm. not to the hospital and not to the area around the hospital. And yet the, the tunnels were destroyed. I'm not exactly sure how that was achieved, um, but there is a video out there for those who might be interested to go and have a look at it. Um, very, very fascinating. Indeed, you can clearly see the explosion from above ground. It's like a drone footage of the explosion taking place from up in the air. And you can clearly see this massive explosion. And yet everything about ground remains intact. So the hospital itself is intact and, and the area around the hospital. And I think this is massively significant because that tunnel under Shefa Hospital will forever go down in history as having been the place that might have, could have, should have, perhaps would have been a place that we might be able to catch some key Hamas terrorists and potentially some of um, our hostages. But now those tunnels, we are told, are destroyed. Anthony, is it true that there's history with that tunnel? Um, or with those, you know, the structure under the Shifa Hospital, in terms of the Jewish community, um, you know, I've seen from Jewish sources saying that um, Israel was actually when when Israel um, had Gaza, right, that they were involved in building part of that structure that was under the hospital. Is that true? Um, I don't know whether that is true or not, and I haven't seen that article, but now that you've mentioned it, I will certainly go and look at it to see if there's any truth to that. One thing we can be sure about is there is massive history in Gaza. There can be little doubt about that. Um, ancient history, not just recent history, yeah, yeah. But ancient history, which unfortunately 
and much of it has been destroyed not only now during the war but indeed uh, previously during prior conflicts and of course um, by the people who've lived in Gaza for one reason or another um, but about particularly under that hospital area I don't know the answer to that and I will have a look at it and I will come back to you. Okay thank you so much. Can we please talk about uh, Hezbollah and Chief Nasrallah he made a speech yesterday. Yeah. Did he say anything important? Yeah, so, well no, I mean, actually, one of the reports that I saw, one of the reports that I saw, which was sort of co- was was quoting the Arab press and uh, quoting quoting the, the the Arab media, said that his speech was boring. Those are the words that I saw used, um, which is highly unusual um, for a speech by um, Hassan Nasrallah because apparently he always comes up with words of wisdom. And um, clearly, the speech was one that we expected to hear lots and lots of threats. If there is going to be an attack against Lebanon, then Hezbollah will go to war in order to defend Lebanon against Israel. And yet um, he didn't, although he did refer to the attack um, that took place in that Beirut neighborhood uh, where the Hamas number two guy, Aruri, was was, uh, killed the previous day. Um, Interestingly, the US had come back saying there is no evidence that Israel was involved in that uh, assassination, but I think it's kind of roundly understood that Israel was somehow involved in all of that. Israel seems to be the only uh, people with any interest to see the end of Aruri, except maybe his sister who wanted him to be a martyr. We already spoke about that yesterday. Um, but um, it was interesting that even though um, Nasrallah did refer to that, he didn't see it as a trigger point, as something which would trigger Hezbollah getting mega involved in this conflict. And actually, the U.S. has come out with a comment yesterday saying that as far as they can make out, neither Hezbollah nor Israel have any interest to get involved in a war in Lebanon uh, or along the Lebanese border. And yet the um, attacks still continue around the area of the Lebanese border. Israel carried out a number of attacks yesterday quite deeply into Lebanon, um, the Lebanese, the Hezbollah terrorists on the opposite side of the border have also been firing missiles. Um, the Mount Dov area has been uh, one of those targets again, um, which is a traditional target used also from Syria, but also from Lebanon um, towards uh, Israeli uh, set up in the Mount Dov area. Um, Nasrallah apparently will continue his speech tomorrow, and it'll be interesting to see what happens in part two of the January speech um, that Nasrallah is giving, but it's always fire and brimstone and many, many threats and Israel should beware and we will take revenge at a time and place of our choosing and you should be careful of not um, drawing Lebanon into this war and if Lebanon is attacked, we will be involved and many, many, many threats and lots of um, of, uh, um, emotion. Um, yeah, um, but and yet there doesn't seem to be a great deal of substance. Nothing really new that he said, nothing really new revealed. Um, and so even though everybody was eagerly waiting to see where this goes, I think that what we can read into his speech from yesterday is that they are not willing at the moment to take things a step further in terms of escalating the conflict with Israel. Under the current circumstances, I think it's just continuing at the current sort of level. Anthony, um, being a Thursday, we're not going to be able to speak to you tomorrow. Is it possible that you can stay with us after news? We've got to take news at 8 o'clock. Um, and would it be possible, because th- you know, um, listeners are engaging and they've got questions for you as well. 
Would that be possible? I will stay um, after the news. Thank you. That is very kind of you. Thank you so much. Um, so, Anthony Reich, staying with us. If you've got any questions, send them through 34519. You know how to do it. Or 61 It is 8 o'clock. Here is your news. This is the morning mayhem. The best start to your day. High FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Yes, and uh, we continue our reporting with... Anthony Reich. Um, I did ask him to stay with us a little bit longer. Lots of messages coming through for Anthony. Anthony, you still with me? Um, Kathy, I am still with you, and I would like, with your permission, to start with the fact that today is Kfir Bibas's birthday. And just to remind listeners who Kfir Bibas is, he is the baby who is in Gaza, mm-hmm. along with his mother. And brother Ariel. Would he be one year um, old today? He was captured. He would be one year. Well, he is because officially, according to our records, he remains alive in Gaza, even though I must have claimed that um, he and his brother and his mother have been killed or are dead or no longer alive, whatever you they want to sold. say. They were sold. Wasn't there a story that they were sold? Um, there are so many stories circulating. I personally am quite pessimistic about whether they're alive or not. I can't imagine how a baby of that age could survive. Yeah. Anthony, I don't know why we seem to have uh, lost you. I think that we've just lost... uh I'm very possibility of them still being alive, but officially, according to um, our version, he is still alive. All right, we need to get Anthony... We need to get you back. I'm not sure what's happening with our connection, but uh, our connection to you. So we will try and get Anthony right back right after this. If you've got any questions for Anthony Reich, now is your time to uh, to send them through. 34519 is the text line or 061-895-1019. Anthony, you with me? Anthony? No. All right, so we're going to take some music and we will try and get hold of Anthony Reich again. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. All right, so uh, we are connected once again. Anthony, uh, please will you continue telling us about this uh, this little boy? Just uh, yeah, terrible. I just, just, just mentioning Kfir, who, who turns a year old today, Kfir Bibas. Um, and it just kind of brings back to the forefront of our attention the plight of the, the hostages. Yeah. 135 hostages remain in Gaza. Let's not forget about them because um, with things just dragging out the way they are, there is the possibility that, that we can just forget for a moment what this is about. And I suppose it links into the question that um, was asked by a, an unnamed listener who um, asked what happened with the flooding of the tunnels with seawater. And I suppose the simple answer to that is that if we knew that all of our hostages were safe and sound back at home, then the flooding of the tunnels with seawater might be more of an option. There was some controversy about what ecological damage that could do to that area um, if we flooded the tunnels with seawater. So at least for now, my sense is that they stepped back from that particular um, idea. Um, but um, it sounded like a pretty good idea um, at the time. Um, we also had a comment from Anton about Ehud Barak referring to Israel 
building under Shepa. Yeah. Um, so um, that was just a comment that Anton made. Um, and um, there was also a question about Sarah Netanyahu criticizing hostage families. Yeah, what that is with came that? From Ga- um, so the, the, the whole issue of hostage families and what's been going on with them has been quite controversial because they have been very vociferous in being um, opposed to the government's stance on what they're doing or not doing about negotiating a hostage um, return. And uh, many of the hostage families have come out very much criticizing the prime minister. And the moment you criticize the prime minister, you need to be careful of Sarah because she's going to come out and be your big enemy. She's very, very protective of her husband, the prime minister, in almost every constellation. And she has absolutely no qualms in coming out and making public statements about political or politically related issues, especially when things are reflecting negatively on the prime minister. So she um, has Do her comments carry um, weight? One... I think that her comments do not carry weight. I think that most of the Israeli public understand where they're coming from, and they're a little kind of cynical about what her comments are. But but nonetheless, people just don't like her getting involved in politics. It's not her role. I think people just don't like her. I mean, that's my sense. A lot of people just don't like her at all. She gets... Yeah, I mean, there's so many stories about her getting involved in political appointments, which is really not her job. People that she likes or dislikes, and therefore her influence over the prime minister about appointing certain people or not appointing others. So there is a lot of cynicism around, and I don't think that I would give too much weight to any comments that she's made in the public, not about hostage families, even though it's not very, very polite, uh, and not about anything else, because I don't think that people take her very seriously. Um, So those were the questions that... Um, I saw coming in. I don't know if you had any others. That, there is. Um, there is. Michelle, answer right now. Michelle wants to know. She says, please ask Anthony where we can go to find more of his reporting. He is amazing, which I think is pretty nice. <laughs> Thank you, Michelle. I'm, I'm <laughs> flattered and I appreciate that. The answer is that you have me exclusively. I don't do this for a living or anywhere else. And this is very much just a sideshow. I will be making a cameo appearance this afternoon on the, <laughs> uh, the, the overdrive because Rolene's not around. So I will be taking her spot this afternoon for a short time. But other than that, you have me exclusively um, in the mornings. Thank you. One of the things that I just wanted to mention was, of course, this lawsuit that's been brought by the, uh, by the government of South Africa against Israel in the International Criminal jo- uh, Court of the International uh, Court of Justice, where Israel is being accused of genocide in Gaza, and the Israeli government has come out very, very strongly saying, "We will stand up and defend ourselves against this at any price," which is not something which we may necessarily have expected, because up until now, the Israeli government has not been very cooperative with investigations by international courts, especially not the International Criminal Court, which of course is driven by the United Nations and up until now, any cases that have been brought by the International Criminal Court have not been cooperated. Israel has decided not to answer those cases. But now, under uh, in this particular case, the, uh, the, the lawsuit that's been brought in the International Court of Justice, I think Israel will defend. Interestingly, now Turkey has come out also supporting that a case of genocide and one thing i would just like to say um because there's so much that one can say about this and i think the case will go on for quite some time it's going to be a very fascinating case to watch and see how evidence is presented but um, one of the things that just um comes to mind here is that any person or country 
who comes out and accuses Israel of any crime in the wake of Israel's response to the October the 7th massacre is effectively supporting Hamas and the uh, the the terror activities the terror actions that they took on October the 7th that's what you're effectively doing you are supporting genocide because that's what Hamas actually carried out on October the 7th so it's a little ironic that it's the South African government or anybody who's accusing Israel of genocide when Israel effectively responded to an act of genocide against its people. And so if you're accusing Israel of genocide, you are effectively supporting genocide because that's really what it amounts to. And one of the little kind of elephants in the room where the South African government is concerned is, of course, the South African government's record on the white farmers issue, which has been raised a few times in the Israeli press and said it's a little strange that it's the South African government accusing Israel of genocide when they have got the skeleton in the closet about what they have done or perhaps haven't done about the acts of terror that have been taking place against white farmers in South Africa. So this is all no doubt going to come out into the International Court of Justice. This is um, going to be, I think, an interesting uh, uh, drama that will play out in the International Court of Justice. And I'm certainly very, very eagerly awaiting seeing who will represent Israel. Alan Dershowitz's name has been mentioned amongst others as being potentially someone who will represent Israel there. We will watch and see very, very keenly how all of that pans out. Just to be clear, is that when Israeli media compares, you know, talks about the the farm murders of the white farmers in South Africa, they're comparing them to what happened with the, with the kibbutzim. You're not comparing white farmers being killed to what's happening in Gaza. Is that correct? Because they're not the same. That, well, well, no, that is exactly correct. What, 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 the, what the Israeli press is saying is that, that the South African government accuses Israel of, of genocide. And while we're not necessarily trying to compare what happens with the white farmers with any acts that have taken place in or around Israel, the question is whether the South African government was not itself party to a certain genocide that took place within South Africa against the white farmers and whether it's not somewhat ironic that that's the government that's coming out and accusing Israel of genocide. I don't think there's an attempt to really compare it not one way and not the other way, but just to say whoever is throwing stones should probably not live in a glass house. Um, And so be cautious about pointing fingers when potentially fingers can be pointed back against you. Antony Reich, thank you very, very much. A message from Carol Z says, I love and adore Antony Reich. You see, fan clubs, huh? Fan clubs. It's all worth this, these early hours for you, Antony Reich. But uh, thank you so much for doing what you do. And uh, I will be catching you from the other side of the microphone from next week. And I wish you, you and your family a Shabbat Shalom and uh, just safe, safe times ahead. Well. God thank bless. Bye bye. This Israel report is brought to you by the Blue Agency. Your Israel property is in good hands. Hi, it's Barry Cohen from the Blue Agency. Israel is currently facing one of its biggest challenges ever. All of Klal Israel is praying for the safety of our soldiers and the return of the hostages. We hope and pray that our soldiers and security forces will prevail and that they will all return home speedily and triumphant. 
We hold the hands of our clients and friends who have children serving in Tzahal, who are protecting Israel and Jews around the world. May Hashem protect us all.